Are you struggling on your radio calls to ATC? Are you looking for a better way to practice that's not up there in the air in that stressful situation? Well, I want to talk to you guys about something called AR Sim or Aviation Radio Simulator by Plain English. It lets you practice talking to ATC through all phases of VFR and IFR flight from taxi out to takeoff all at your own pace. There's no simulator setup needed and it works on any device, mobile or the web. So whether you're a novice or seasoned pro, the guided communication curriculum in trainer mode will elevate your comms proficiency greatly. Download ARSIM by Plain English today and check out our show notes where you can get 10% off using a coupon code. It is a great tool and I highly, highly recommend it. Hi, my name's Nick Smith founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way part-time pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the part-time pilot audio ground school podcast hello and welcome to the audio ground school podcast my name is nick smith i'm the host and founder and creator of parttimepilot.com private pilot online ground school and resource center for new pilots and welcome in so it's november 13th couple announcements you know we got the holidays coming up we got Black Friday coming up. And in the past, I have done a Black Friday deal. Now, I mentioned this last year that last year would be the last Black Friday deal. And I'm sticking to that. So we will not have a Black Friday deal. Here is why. One, the goal with Part-Time Pilot and our ground school was to always be the best value and best price ground school. We wanted to make it a no-brainer so I didn't have to do a bunch of salesy type stuff and just make it a no-brainer for students. So not only was it the most affordable option, but it also had the best value. It's just a no-brainer decision. And I feel that we have gotten to that point. Over the past couple of years, we've been building things in that we've wanted to, but now we have the support team, we have chat, we're very responsive in our questions. We have our study group. We have our ultimate test prep book, PDF download bonus. We have flashcard bonuses. We have a bunch of practice tests. We have the audio lessons, we have bonus audio lessons, we have a bunch of videos, quizzes, mnemonic devices, figures, diagrams, we have a cross-country planning ebook, cross-country planning checklist, nav logs, all that stuff included for lifetime access, plus a bunch of, you know, live lesson recordings and webinar recordings, like updates to the webinar, and then we do, every month or so, we do a live lesson on new topics, all that stuff for the most affordable price is enough. That was the goal. There is no need to do a Black Friday thing anymore. The other reason, I'm all about 
people who like to take action, especially when it comes to their dreams like becoming a pilot. And if you kind of train people to wait for a deal, I know that it doesn't matter who you are. I've like waited for Black Friday deals before on things. And especially when it comes to something that requires my time, like a course or something, I end up just buying it for the deal, but then I don't value it as much. I never end up doing the course when I buy it for some deal. It's like more so I'm just buying it for the deal and not because I want to do it and I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to take action. So I don't want to train people into waiting for deals. I know deals are great and all that stuff. You may see us do like a quick action or some sort of deal that promotes action in following your dreams, but we're no longer going to do a Black Friday deal. Just wanted to get that out there. The other announcement I have is that the scholarship, the $1,000 fall scholarship to our online ground school members. The deadline is this Wednesday. So in a couple days on November 15th, in midnight, that's the last time you can apply to the scholarship. You have to be a member of the online ground school. Put a link in the show notes. It's $1,000 and then runner up, we will refund them their ground school. Anyways, just wanted to make that announcement. So get those applications in. It's just a short application. All right, we have a couple reviews to read off before we get into the lesson today. This one is from, and this is on trustpilot.com. So if you want a review read off, you can go to trustpilot.com, search for part-time pilot, leave us a review on the podcast or the ground school, or you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If I'm not sure on other podcasts, if you can leave a review or not, but they're highly, highly, highly appreciated because it really helps us out, be seen and find new people. So thank you for doing that. This first one's from Tara. It's a five-star review. Passed on the first try, part-time pilot allowed me to study in a way that suited my needs and gave me the confidence to continue on with training. I was able to take and pass my FAA written exam on the first try, which has allowed me to progress through flight training with a little less stress. Nick has formulated a great program that will be beneficial for every stage of your learning. Thank you, Tara. That is a fantastic review, and thank you very much. The next one is from Gaetano. Sorry if I butchered that. Sorry about that, but it's a five-star review, so I loved it. Really approachable and thorough program. I like the quick support via chat. Great method and lots of useful content. Appreciate that. And then last one, five-star review from Anthony. New student perspective. So I just signed up with Part-Time Pilot after it was recommended to me by the flight instructors and students at the flight school where I completed my introductory flight. The information is provided in a clear, concise format that is easy to understand. It's already helped me understand and build on the information I've learned during the introductory flight. I highly recommend Part-Time Pilot. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Gaetano, if I say that right. And thank you, Tara. So appreciate you guys. And again, if you want to get your review read off, reviews really, really help us out. Again, that's trustpilot.com. Search for Part-Time Pilot where you listen to the podcast if you can leave reviews on there. There's no student question this week. We had some in the study group, the Facebook study group, which is a fantastic tool. Just search for Part-Time Pilot study group on Facebook and come join us there. So much good information there. It's just for student pilots learning, ground school stuff, and even flight training stuff. So it's a fantastic place to learn. And join us there. That's usually where we grab our questions from. And let's get into the lesson. Today's lesson is on communication. So that's like talking to ATC and tower and ground control and all that stuff. So we'll get into that. So this is in the online ground school. If you're not following along, I highly recommend you do so that you get the full experience of the written lessons all the visual aids and the diagrams and examples that we have in there and some of the stuff that we don't go over on the podcast because you just can't really do it on audio and then the video lessons, the quizzes and all the bonuses that I talked about before. So I highly recommend you do. If you do and if you are, go to my courses and this is the step one course with all the lessons in it 
and we're on section 14 on airport operations and lesson two on communications. So I wanted to do just episode on communications because it's a big topic. And then for online ground school members, we are gonna do a bonus episode or a bonus lesson on communications where we're gonna get some like, kinda be in like a quiz format. So as you're listening, we're gonna play some ATC audio and then we're gonna set up a scenario, play some ATC audio and then tell you, you know, how would you reply? and kind of go over that so you can really practice. We'll give you some time to reply in your head or out loud or whatever and really practice because this is one of the hardest things for a new student pilot. It gets nerve wracking. You need the confidence. So practice makes is the biggest key to that. So we're going to kind of come up with a bonus episode for that. And that'll be in the online ground school. And if you're in the online ground school, again, go to my courses. We organize everything by courses and go to bonus course audio lessons. That's where you'll find all of these without any of the mumbo jumbo ads or me reading off reviews. It's just the lessons. And then plus you get those like four or five or six bonus episodes that we already have and more coming. Okay. Lesson two communications of section 14 on airport operations. Let's get into that right now. All right, so pilots need to be as short and to the point as possible, especially in a busy airspace. A good, quick, and confident radio transmission can really help out an air traffic controller. Young pilots regularly feel a pressure to get their radio transmission over quickly and without air. While this is desired, it is better to do it right, even if it means taking your time a little bit, because the most important part of the communication is understanding on both sides. It is important to tell yourself this if you may be feeling rushed or nervous. Take a breath, think about what you need to say, then key the mic and say it with confidence. Practice helps a lot, especially with the confidence part. And that's why we have this in the ground school. And that's why we'll be doing that bonus lesson. Let's see here. The best way to practice is to listen to actual ATC transmissions and respond to them as if you were the actual pilot. Even better is to listen closely and find a pilot who is wanting to land part or some other operation that requires ATC clearance and sit in your chair and chair fly as if you were the pilot. For example, if you hear a pilot making his or her first call to approach for landing, then you can become this pilot. And every time you hear his or her tail number called, you can imagine that this is you. You can chair fly the pattern and approach and before landing checklist while also thinking of what you will say next so that you are ready for the ATC response as well as you. You can do this at home from your own chair with your own computer by visiting www.liveatc.net. So you can listen to those. You can choose a pilot, right? And just put yourself in those shoes. Sit in a chair, act like you're that pilot. And whenever you hear that tail sign or that pilot make a call, you know, maybe just kind of repeat it, do it yourself, do it in your head, whatever you want to do. But that repetition is going to really, really help you out. Another good practice technique is to write out note cards for certain situations that you may expect yourself to be in and use a friend or family member to read them off to you as the air traffic controller. I did this with my fiance and it helped immensely. What I also did is I would put calls I would expect, I would jot them uh, notes of the calls on my kneeboard notepad for the flight that I was preparing for. So along with my flight plan and taxi diagrams and all that other stuff that I have on my kneeboard, I would write out notes. I would say, okay, I'm going to talk to ground. I'm going to talk to tower. I'm going to talk to flight following, blah, 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 blah. And I would say exactly what I think is going to happen. Because as you practice and you do flight training with your instructor, it's usually about, especially if you're coming, taxing from your flight school to the same runway, it's going to be similar a lot. And once you get to it, don't assume it's going to be the same, right? If it's a little bit different, just look at your note. Instead of them saying taxi to runway 27, they tell you to taxi to runway 9. 
because the winds are different than they normally are, right? So you can just cross that out as you're kind of listening to them say, and then it's just, it makes it a lot easier. You have most of it right there. You don't have to remember as much on the readback either because you can just cross off one or two words and then read off the rest. So that's another really, really helpful tip. So the first thing I want to go over is speaking letters or the phonetic alphabet. This is kind of the military uses this, the phonetic alphabet. It's kind of like pilot lingo that you'll hear on TV or if you're a fan of The Office, Dwight checks into a hotel with his confirmation code and he, he reads it off using the phonetic alphabet, right? And he thinks he's really cool doing that. Anyways, that's one of my all-time favorite shows. So let's get back. Final thing you can do to prepare yourself is know the rules of pilot speak, right? So that's what we're going to go over here. How you say letters, how you say numbers, all that type of stuff that is going to help you out with ATC. Uh, one of the first rules is to not say letters as letters, but instead say letters according to the ICAO phonetic alphabet. The ICAO phonetic alphabet was created to help pilots and air traffic controllers avoid confusions and miscommunications, right? The letter E over a scratchy radio, that could be B, C, D, E, G, T, V, right? It could be a lot of different letters, P. So when it's scratchy, so instead they came up with words for each letter. So what are those? So A is Alpha, B is Bravo, C is Charlie, D is Delta, E is Echo, F is Foxtrot, G is Golf, H is Hotel, I is India, J is Juliet, K is Kilo, L is Lima, M is Mike, N is November, O is Oscar, P is Papa, Q is Quebec, R is Romeo, S is Sierra, T is Tango, U is Uniform, V is Victor, W is Whiskey, X is X-Ray, Y is Yankee, and Z is Zulu. Probably already, you know, heard us use some of these, like Zulu time, right? So that, that's one of them. You have the Sierra and Tango Sigmets, right? Sierra, Tango, Sigmets. Let's see what are some other things you may, I'm Alpha Bravo. Those are pretty common. So you've heard some of these before, but it's good to kind of know all of these. You won't use them a ton. And the ones that you will use are like in the tail number of your aircraft, right? Like 947 Quebec or something like that, right? You're going to have a letter or two in the tail number of your aircraft. That's kind of one of the examples that I can think of of when you would say letters. But there may be some other examples as well. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is speaking figures, altitudes, directions, speeds, and times. Figures such as numbers that are used in airspace ceilings or wind and weather data should be spoken in accordance or routes or anything like that should be spoken in accordance with the following. Numbers below are equal to 9,900. You'll have, so 500 is said 500, right? 600 would be 600. 4,500 or 4,500 would be 4,500. So you don't want to say it 4,500. I know I've done that. I've changed back and forth. But when you are on the radio, you want to say it. So when it's hundreds, right, you say 500. When it's thousands, you say 4,500. It's kind of like writing a check. If you've ever wrote a check, you have to kind of spell each word out. Numbers above 9,900, you would say this is where it gets a little bit different. Instead of saying 10, so like in 10,000, instead of saying 10,000, you say 10,000. Okay, so again, we spell out this is a little bit different than writing a check. Obviously, in a check, you would say 10. So here, we just say 10,000 or like 13,500, you would say 13,000. 
1,500. So you say each number kind of separately in there. Airways or jet routes should be spoken in accordance with, so like if it's V12, that would be Victor 12, and then J533, Juliet 533. And then when a radio frequency contains a decimal point, the decimal point is spoken as point. So 123.2 would be 123.2. So you read off each of the numbers. All of the numbers shall be transmitted by pronouncing each digit. 13 would be 13. So if you want to say like a distance, right, to ATC and it's 13, you would say 13. Altitudes up to, but not including 18,000 feet MSL, should state the separate digits of the 10,000s and the 1,000s when applicable. So again, altitudes up to, but not including 18,000. So 13,500 would be 13,500. So again, that kind of fits with what we talked about before. And then 14,000 would be 14,000. Altitudes at and above 18,000 MSL are known as flight levels, or FL. When you're stating a flight level, state the word flight level followed by the separate digits of the flight level. So FL210, which would be 21,000 feet MSL, is flight level 210. And then FL190 would be flight level 190. When stating a course, heading, bearing, or wind direction, there will always be three digits that need to be stated. When only digits are used, it is assumed that the direction is in terms of magnetic, if you wish to convey a true direction, then the word true will need to be added following the direction. So a magnetic course of 7 degrees would be 007. True course of 230 would be 230 true. A magnetic bearing of 360 would be 360. Again, that's magnetic. Heading of 200 would be 200. You don't have to say true. Wind direction of 015 would be 015. That's if you get, obviously, the wind. When you're flying and you hear about the wind or you come up with it yourself, that's going to be in a magnetic direction. If you read about it in like a wind's aloft, then that would be in true and that would be 015 true. Each digit of speed is stated separately followed by the word knots. Unless the air traffic controller is giving a speed adjustment procedure, then they may omit the word knots. 250 knots would be said 250 knots. Speed adjust to 200 knots. Reduce increased speed 200. Yeah, they might not always say knots. They know that you know they're talking about speed. The 24-hour clock system is used in radio transmissions for pilots. The FAA uses Greenwich Mean Time, GMT, or Zulu for all of its operations. And in order to convert from standard time to Greenwich Mean Time, perform the following adjustment depending on your time zone. We'll talk about this a little bit later on adjusting the time zones, but Eastern Standard Time, you add five hours. Central Standard Time, you add six hours. Mountain Standard Time, add seven. Pacific, you add eight. And these are standard times, but during daylight savings times, Eastern Daylight Savings Times, you add four hours from the GMT or Zulu time. Central Daylight Savings Time, you add five hours. Mountain Daylight Savings Time, you add six hours. Pacific Daylight Savings Times, you add seven hours. In the 24-hour clock system, the hours are indicated in the first two digits and the minutes in the last two figures. So it would be 0840 would be 0840 minutes, right? So it's 840 Zulu time. Or 0000 would be midnight. Uh, that would be 0000 is how you would say that. So now I want to talk about traffic. When ATC calls out radar traffic in relation to a 12-hour clock, they're referencing the position of the traffic relative to the aircraft's ground track. So 
telling you about traffic. Your aircraft ground track is going to be sort of the reference point they're going to use for this clock. Wherever your ground track is pointed on their radar screen, that's going to be the 12 o'clock of this clock. While a course is what you intend to travel along the ground, a track is a path you actually end up taking along the ground. ATC sees your radar signature overlaid on a map of the ground and therefore watches your ground track. So for example, if ATC calls out traffic 9 o'clock 2 miles southbound, then you should expect traffic flying in the direction of south off of your left wing. So you should expect, you know, straight ahead from you is 12 o'clock. 9 o'clock, if that was a clock, would be on your left. 3 o'clock would be on your right. 6 o'clock would be behind you. So ATC said traffic at 9 o'clock, so that's off your left wing, 9 o'clock. It's two miles away from you, and it's heading southbound. They're traveling in the direction of south off your left wing. Another example is if you are flying on a heading of 090 degrees and ATC calls out traffic 3 o'clock, two miles westbound, you should look off for traffic off your right wing to the south two miles away and traveling in the opposite direction as you since 090 degrees is eastbound heading. So you're traveling 09 degrees, you're traveling to the east. They say traffic at three o'clock. So three o'clock is going to be off your right wing again because in this situation, the the 12 o'clock of the clock is heading in your direction, right? So that's you're heading east. So the 12 o'clock is pointed to the east. Three o'clock would be to your right and that would be to the south. Traffic would be to the south or to your right two miles and traveling westbound, you're traveling eastbound, they should be passing you going the opposite way off your right wing about two miles. So this is kind of how you think about this when you talk about traffic. We're going to have a lesson about traffic here in a little bit, so we'll get more into detail, but this is just kind of a summary of how ATC, the communications of it. So next section I want to talk about is aircraft and station call signs. A call sign may be the single most important thing to communicate during initial contact between an aircraft and a station. Call sign ensures that both sides recognize who the other is and who is being instructed. When calling a ground station, a pilot should begin by stating the name of the facility they are calling, followed by the type of the facility that is being called. So, for example, in Airport Unicom, one example is like Brown Unicom. I'm using some examples from around the San Diego area. FA Flight Service Station or FSS, an example would be San Diego Radio. FA In Route Flight Advisory Service or EFAS, so this is an example from the Seattle area where I'm from. Seattle Flight Watch, that would be the example there. Airport Air Traffic Control, Ramona Tower, so that's a Ramona Airport, you just call it Ramona Tower or Gillespie Tower or Brown Tower or whatever the airport's name is. Clearance delivery position for IFR flights, uh, Los Angeles clearance delivery. That's an example there. Ground control, uh, you know, Gillespie ground. You just say the name of the airport followed by grounds. But Ramona ground would be another example or San Diego ground. Radar and non-radar approach control. One example there is Houston approach. Obviously that's in Houston, but you just, it's again, just the name of the station uh, followed by approach. Radar departure control. Denver Departure. Again, it's the name of the station, which is usually the area, so the the major metropolitan area. Like you might also have Los Angeles Departure or Los Angeles Approach. FAA Air Route Traffic Control Center, ARTCC, that would be a center. So that's like Portland Center or Seattle Center. When calling any station, a pilot must clearly state their own aircraft's call sign. Pilots must also always be listening for their own call sign in order to act quickly to directions given to them by ATC. And proper use of call signs can result in pilots executing a clearance intended for another aircraft. 
Because of this, call signs should never be abbreviated on initial contact or at any time when another aircraft has similar sounds, numbers, or letters in their call sign. To be safe, never abbreviate. Pilots must be certain that the aircraft identification is complete and clearly understood before taking action on an ATC clearance. Controllers may initiate abbreviated call signs of other aircraft by using the prefix and the last three digits or letters of the aircraft identification after communications have already been established. The pilot may then use the abbreviated call sign in the transmission following only when the controller has abbreviated the call sign first. So when the controller has abbreviated your call sign, that kind of tells you, hey, you guys are connected, you guys are on close terms, you guys are close friends now, and you don't have to say your entire call sign. Civil aircraft pilots should state the aircraft type, model, or manufacturer's name, followed by the digits and letters of the registration number, that's the tail number. Most civil aircraft call signs begin with the letter N. The N can be dropped when the manufacturer or model name is used. Example, a Piper Cherokee Warrior with number uh, November N November 7938 Charlie painted on the tail. You can say Cherokee 7938 Charlie. So you don't have to say the N. You don't have to say November. You just say the manufacturer or model name followed by what's after the N. So Cherokee 7938 Charlie. If you have corresponded with the same station tower several times, again, and they, they've abbreviated your call sign, it would be 38 Charlie. It'd just be the last three digits. Again, if there might be another 38 Charlie at your airport at the same time or something, then they would again make you say the, maybe they might say Cherokee 38 Charlie if it's different, but they will add another designation to it. But you wouldn't know that. ATC would have to tell you that. Uh, another example of Bonanza with number 655G painted on the tail. For the tail number would be Bonanza 655 Golf. All right. That's some examples there for the tail number. Student pilots can also receive additional assistance when they lack the experience of talking and listening on the radio. The FAA wants to help the student pilot in gaining this valuable experience as well as to keep the airspace safe for everybody. To receive additional assistance while operating in areas of concentrated air traffic, a student pilot should identify themselves as a student pilot during the initial call to ATC. So basically, you just want to tell ATC that you're a student pilot that you're a little bit nervous talking and that you might need them to go a little bit slower. And this really helps. They want you to do this. They much rather you say, hey, I'm a student pilot. You know, kind of take it easy on me if you can. And once they know you're a student pilot, they can do a lot of things. They can maybe not put you in sort of time stressful situations. They might put a more experienced pilot in. They might not read off the directions as fast, things like that. So it can really, really help to just let them know. And how you would do that, an example is like Gillespie Tower, Cherokee 4082 uniform, student pilot. So you just say who you are and, well, you say who you're contacting, Gillespie Tower, who you are, and then say student pilot. This will allow the ATC to provide you with extra assistance and slower, more detailed instructions if needed. After that, you don't have to only say that. You could if you wanted. You say, hey, student pilot, for my next transition, just wanted to know student pilot. They would probably just say 082 uniform A firm, right? Or A2 uniform A firm. Or you could say Gillespie Tower, this is Cherokee 4082 uniform, student pilot at runway 27 ready for takeoff, right? You could then go into saying whatever it is you wanted to say. But that's just an example of how you would inform them your student pilot. This will allow, again, ATC to provide you with extra assistance and slower, more detailed instructions if needed. Another trick for student pilots or for anyone at an airport they are unfamiliar with is to ask for progressive taxi instructions. 
I did this before on my cross-country solo, and I've even done this as a private pilot. When you go to a new airport that you're not familiar with, sometimes these taxiways can be really confusing. Even when you have the taxiway printed out and you think you understand, you can kind of get lost on where you are at on some of these. And so don't be ashamed to just, even if you're a a seasoned pilot, to just say, hey, I, I want some progressive taxi instructions to help me out here. So for example, if you're at an airport with a very complex set of taxiways, intersecting runways, high traffic, and you're a little bit nervous, it may, again, if you're ever just nervous, just ask there to help you. They want to make sure things are safe. Some of them might get annoyed, right? They shouldn't, but don't worry about it. You're not doing anything illegal. They're annoyed. You are doing the right thing. At the end of the day, they would much rather, they would get a lot more annoyed if you were to mess up. Sometimes they can get annoyed. Again, they shouldn't, but sometimes they can when they're really, really busy. And then they have a bunch of student pilots that they have to deal with. But hey, that's a job. And your job is to be safe. And if that takes needing a little bit of extra help, especially at the beginning when you're a student pilot, do not worry about it. Don't be embarrassed. This is how you learn. When this happens, when you ask for progressive taxi instructions, the controller will follow your aircraft as you taxi and notify you of when to turn and when to stop. An example of how to ask for that would be San Diego ground, Cherokee 9082 uniform at alpha taxi to 30 right with progressive instructions. So you would just say, again, who you're talking to, the ground radio, right? San Diego ground. Say who you are, Cherokee 9082 uniform. You say where you're at and where you want to go. You're at alpha, you want to taxi to 30 right. So that's runway 30 with progressive instructions. All right, next thing I want to talk about and do some examples of is technique and contact procedures. I found that whenever I messed up while training for my private pilot's license, whether it be talking on the radio, forgetting a checklist item, or a bad landing, it was always because my mind was not clear. I've harped on this a lot in the ground school and on these audio lessons about staying ahead of the aircraft mentally and doing all the prep work beforehand so that you can just focus on flying. So instead of thinking ahead of the aircraft, as I say, I was thinking behind it. For example, if I were to mess up on a radio transmission back to ATC at the tower, it was probably because I was still trying to process what they told me, a checklist item or figuring out my VORs or something like that. Cherokee 40482 uniform, clear for takeoff, right downwind departure. I will call your base, expedite, takeoff for landing traffic. This is a lot to handle for any pilot, let alone a student pilot. You know, the more seasoned you get, the easier that gets. Not only was there a lot of information given, but it ended with a request to expedite your takeoff. Sometimes the controller will ask you if you are able to expedite, but other times they will just state it. But this does not mean you have to do it. If you are still trying to process what all was said to you, not only will you probably mess up your transmission back to the controller, but you may mess up your takeoff and traffic pattern while putting yourself in a dangerous situation. Therefore, if your mind is not clear and you haven't yet processed this request, especially if you're a student pilot, and this would be a good time to simply just state unable and stay behind the runway threshold. Some controllers may be set. Again, they shouldn't, but they'll get over it and it'll be okay. Again, the reason why I'm saying they might be upset, I don't want to scare you into saying like, these are all the things that you should do. I just don't want you to feel like pressure. 
by anybody. And that is why they should never do that. And most of them don't. Okay. Most of them don't, but it could happen and never feel pressured to do anything. You're the PIC and you can always say unable. If this was me and I was a student pilot, right? And they said, Cherokee 40482 uniform, clear for takeoff, right down when departure, I will call your base, expedite takeoff for landing traffic. I would be like trying to jot that down, blah, blah, blah. And I would get to expedite and I would say, okay, holy crap. I would say unable student pilot still processing or something like that, right? Unable student pilot need more time. Something like that quickly. You don't even have to explain it. You can simply just say unable, but that would be a good time to say, you know, student pilot as well, right? Unable student pilot. So that just tells ATC, hey, I need some more time. And I'm cool with just waiting here until I get some more time where I don't have to expedite my takeoff. If you're struggling in situations like this or talking to ATC in general, you should focus on making things easier on yourself and clearing your mind. To do this, I have found a few things that are helpful. One, practice. We've already talked about this. Use a friend or family member and script out possible conversations you may have on live with ATC. Listen on liveatc.net. This may just take a commitment of five minutes a night for a couple weeks until you make listening to controllers second nature. Grab a pen and write down the important information you would need to know if you were the pilot and state your response as the actual pilot on the recording. Once listening is second nature, you will be able to pick up your instructions much easier, quicker, and have a much clearer mind when it's your turn to speak. Listen before you speak. When you dial a new frequency, listen before keying the mic. You may hear the information you need and not need to make a call. You can ensure you don't step on anyone's transmissions as well. Gather any automated information you can listen in on ATIS and other automated services before calling about the same info so a lot of stuff you can just get and you want to kind of listen to a frequency first you don't step on any conversations maybe you might glean some information that'll help make you the transmission so listen for a little bit before you do that and then finally think before you speak while it is important to be hasty and to the point as a pilot it is more important to be correct think about the instructions you were given before repeating them think about what you're going to say before you say it. And then the last one that I don't have listed here that I already mentioned is kind of write down what you expect to say before your flight is even happens, right? You might not be able to write out your entire expected flight. You probably could. You probably script your entire flight and then you can just cross it off as those happen, right? And if it's different than expected, then just cross off those words that are different than you expected. That could help a lot because you already kind of have an idea of what to say. When contacting an airport or approach departure center radio, We'll need to tell them who you are talking to, who you are, what you are, where you are, and what information you have, and finally, what you want. So that's who you want to talk to, who you are, what you are, where you are, what information you have, what you want. Here's an example when contacting ATC flight following. Contacting a departure approach center, it is requested that a pilot first state that they have a request. This lets the controller finish whatever they are doing and prepare for your call. Once they are ready, they will tell you to state your response. San Diego Radio, Cherokee 4480 Tango with request. They might, flight following, they're not expecting, they might be expecting your call, but you just want to kind of give them an opportunity to, you know, maybe finish a conversation they're having with somebody else or prepare, find you on the radar chart or something. Again, who you want to talk to, San Diego Radio, who you are, Cherokee 4480 Tango, and then what you want with requests. So you just start with that. It may take several minutes if they are busy. If you don't hear the controller talk at all after a couple of minutes, try again. If it still doesn't work, check your frequencies, check your radios, all that. 
they will probably say something, uh, and you would hope that they say, Cherokee 4480 Tango, state your request. You are now good to state your request, including who you are talking to, who you are, what you are, where you are, what info you have, and what info you want. So, San Diego Radio, Cherokee 9080 Tango is a PA28, five miles west of Julian VOR at 4,500, with flight plan to Twin Palms, request flight following. Who you are talking to is San Diego Radio. Who you are is Cherokee 9080 Tango. What you are is PA28 aircraft. Where you are, you're five miles west of Julian VOR, and you're at 4,500 altitude. What information you have, you have an open flight plan with Twin Palms, and what you want is flight following. So again, San Diego Radio Cherokee 9080 Tango is a PA-28 five miles west of Julian VOR at 4,500 with flight plan to Twin Palms request flight following. Again, who you want to talk to, who you are, what you are, where you are, what information you have, and what you want. All these items should be stated whenever you are contacting a frequency for the first time. Unless that frequency is a common traffic advisory, then it is not necessary. Next, ATC will have to change your transponder from the standard VFR code of 121200 to a specific code of their choosing. So they'll probably say something like Cherokee 4480 Tango Squawk 4566. And at this point, you would change your transponder code while avoiding the emergency codes to 4566 and read back the request. Squawking 4566-80 Tango. They might also ask you to ident if they're unable to see you on their screens. An ident makes your aircraft very large and easy to see on their screens. Only use this when requested, however. Finally, ATC might also tell you to switch frequencies by saying contact XX radio on a list of frequency like 127.45 or something like that, right? Or they may start to provide you with flight following services and traffic information. When wanting VFR radar traffic information on the ground, so now let's do an example with that. All right, so we did an example. You're contacting flight following. Now let's do an example of when you want VFR radar traffic info while you're on the ground. Pilots should notify ground control upon initial contact of the request. For example, Brown Ground, Cherokee 248 Oscar at Big Top requesting radar traffic for westbound departure. So we're just going to kind of go through some examples. If you are attempting to establish contact with a ground station or FSS located at a VOR station, and you are receiving and transmitting on separate frequencies, you want to indicate the VOR name or frequency on which you expect a reply. Most FSSs and control facilities can transmit on several VOR stations in the area. For example, Los Angeles Radio, Cessna 3260 Foxtrot, receiving on 122.4. Pilots should contact the local FSS for airport traffic advisories whenever they are entering an airport advisory area. An airport advisory area is an area within 10 statute miles of an airport where a control tower is not operating but an FSS is located. At these locations, and in this situation, the FSS provides advisory services to arriving and departing aircraft. Now, what about the example of if you're approaching an airport without a control tower? And then we'll get into one with a control tower. As standard operating procedure, a pilot should continuously monitor and announce intentions on the CTAF Unicom frequency starting at 10 miles prior to reaching the airport and make frequent updates of their position and intention. So this is again, approaching an airport without a control tower. State when you are 10 miles out, 5 miles out, when you're entering the pattern, entering downwind of the pattern, entering base, and on final, and etc. 
The same goes for an airport that has a tower, but the tower is not operational. So when it's not operational, it becomes uncontrolled. Closed for the night, for example, right? In this case, the tower frequency turns into a CTAF UNICOM, which can be used to state intentions and monitor airport traffic. So this might be an example as you're arriving to Renton Municipal. Renton Muni traffic. So that's who you want to talk to. 40499er Charlie, 10 miles west inbound for landing, runway 24. Who you want to talk to, who you are, where you are, and what you want to do. So you're telling them you're 10 miles west. When you're 10 miles out, then you want to say Renton Muni traffic, 40499er Charlie, 5 miles west inbound for landing, runway 24. And this gives a chance if anyone else is coming in for a landing or taking off on that runway and they're listening, they can pipe up and say, you know, because you don't have ATC to be able to tell you guys or manage the traffic for you guys. So if someone else is coming in for landing around the same time, you guys can communicate and figure out who's number one, who's number two. If someone else is coming in for landing from the east, if they are six miles out, just say, well, I'm closer, so... Is it okay that I'm number one for landing? Let me know when you have me in sight. And then they could either agree or disagree and you guys can figure it out. Can't agree. Someone's being a real knob job. <laughs> I would just climb up somewhere above the airport circle, get a good view of what's going on at a safe altitude and just let them land. And then you can come in and kind of start over and deal with somebody who's not being a knob job. <laughs> Then you would let you know 10 miles out, 5 miles out, then rent muting traffic, 4049er Charlie entering downwind runway 24 for landing full stop. So and then you say when you're entering the pattern. And then rent muni traffic, 4049er Charlie entering base turn for runway 24 landing full stop. So now you tell them when you're turning base, you're getting real close to that, that landing and turning on center line. And then again, you would tell them that you are turning on to final. So you'd say Renton Muni traffic 4049er Charlie on final for runway 24 landing full stop. If you were approaching a airport with a control tower, right, it depends on the airspace for that airport, right? The controlling airspace. If it's all controlled airspace, you have to have two-way communications, whether it's class Delta, class Charlie, class Bravo. So you would have to basically contact them again, 10 miles ahead of time, say you want what you want to do, and they would clear you into their airspace, and they would tell you what you're going to do. So you would just, for example, say something like, Gillespie Tower, Cessna 3438 Uniform, 10 miles east, requesting full stop landing, runway 27. The tower will then come back with instructions on how to continue and possibly when they want you to contact. For example, Cessna 38 Uniform, cleared for landing, runway 27, number 2, report 5 miles. This tells you you're cleared to enter the airspace and to land and that you are number two for landing. Uh, that means another aircraft is ahead of you, so you'll want to spot that aircraft. If you can see that aircraft, you'll want to tell them, ATC, that you can see that aircraft. If not, you'll say looking for traffic, and then they want you to report back to them when you're five miles out as well from the runway in case there are any changes to their clearances. For example, you might come back with Cessna 38 uniform, traffic in sight, Number two, runway 27, report five miles. Uh, you would just kind of read back what you got, and then you would wait until you're five miles out from the runway, and you would just give them a call back and say, Southern 38 uniform, landing runway 27, reporting five miles, right? So you say, again, who you are, what you're doing, and where you're at, and then that would 
tell them they might say runway 3a uniform cleared for landing runway 27 number one so now you're number one the other craft or they might say you're still number two or it might change right they might say enter a right 360 and expect further clearance or something like that if they want you to wait and hold or you know they might ask you to turn or or you might be number three now something like that something might change and then you just again want to read back and just do all their orders And now if you were to land after landing, right, at a non-controlled airport, there's no tower or ground to talk to, but you still want to state your intentions to anyone else that might be using the airport. So you would just say, you know, Cessna 48 uniform, turning off runway 27 on taxiway Bravo, taxiing to wherever you're going. And it's just kind of update them the same way you would do in flight. Now, if you're contacting ground after landing on a tower-controlled airport, in this situation, a pilot should remain on the radio with the tower until the tower advises them to contact ground. So you don't want to switch. You can have ground ready in your second radio, right, or have that frequency ready, but you don't want to switch until the tower tells you to. Shortly after landing, you will hear the tower say something like, Cherokee 8026, Papa, left on Bravo, contact ground, which tells you to turn off the runway at Bravo, at Taxiway Bravo, if able. If not able, tell the tower and contact ground once you have crossed the threshold. If the tower doesn't pass you off, then you are not cleared to change to ground radio. So if they don't say contact ground, you are not cleared to contact ground radio. So you have to stay on that. You, again, you can have them up on your second radio, but you still got to listen to tower. You're still with tower until they pass you off and say contact ground. And you'd want to read that back, right? You would say 26 Papa left on Bravo, contact ground. And then you would turn left on Bravo, you'd get over the threshold, you'd apply the brakes, stop, and then you would do your after landing checklist and then you would contact ground. You would say to ground, you know, you would say Cherokee 8026 Papa on Bravo, taxi to blah, blah, blah. And then ground would tell you how to taxi. You'd read back your taxi instructions and so on. So let's do an example of that. So contact ground stating who you are talking to, who you are, where you are, and where you want to go. So Denver ground, Cessna 550 Bravo at Delta 2, taxi to airplane flying school, right? So then they would say Cessna 552 Bravo, taxi to airplane flying school via Delta 2 and Delta or whatever it is. You know, I'm just kind of making this up now. But they would tell you the instructions, you would read back the instructions, and then you would go ahead and taxi. Okay, a couple more things I want to talk about. One is the concept of emergency reserve and minimum fuel. This is something the FAA written is recently asking about. We want to kind of talk about those and what they are. So depending on how much fuel you have, ATC instructions may not be ideal for your situation. For example, if ATC wants you to hold and you are very low on fuel, you will want to communicate this to ATC. So how do you do that? There are three terms we should use when discussing our fuel situation with ATC. There's minimum fuel, emergency fuel, and reserve fuel. The term minimum fuel indicates that an aircraft's fuel supply has reached a state where, upon reaching the destination, it can accept little or no delay. This is not an emergency situation, but merely indicates an emergency situation is possible should any undue delay occur. Minimum fuel declarations are essentially advisory in nature to ATC. A pilot should declare minimum fuel when, in your best judgment, any additional delay will cause you to burn into your reserve fuel. So again, if you get a clearance to hold or do something that you think you'll start to eat into your reserve fuel amount, you would want to say, you know, hey, Gillespie Tower, minimum fuel request 
different clearance or just say minimum fuel, they'll know what you're talking about. It, again, it's not an emergency situation, but if nothing happens, if there were a delay, it could become an emergency. And the next one is emergency fuel. Although not defined in the AIM or FAA regulations, the industry-wide connotation typically associated with the term fuel emergency is the point at which, in the judgment of the PIC, it is necessary to proceed directly to the airport of intended landing due to low fuel. Declaration of a fuel emergency is an explicit statement that priority handling by ATC is both required and expected. So if you are just totally out of fuel and the only thing you can do is literally just fly straight to the runway and land, that is an emergency fuel situation. I would even call emergency fuel to ATC if all I could do was make a couple turns in the pattern as well or one lap in the pattern. Like, Obviously, you're going to know if you're low on fuel and if you really feel that you want to go emergency fuel. Reserve fuel is the last one. If you are familiar with reserve fuel, this is the FAR that states we need to be able to make it to our destination plus enough fuel for 30 minutes in cruise flight during the day and 45 minutes in the night. So that's the reserve fuel. And when we, if we think we're going to eat into that, that's when we'd call minimum fuel. If we've already eaten it into that, then that would be an emergency fuel situation. But when you say reserve fuel to ATC, you're telling them that you have started to use this reserve fuel amount, and therefore you have 30 minutes left in daytime or 45 minutes left in daytime. Let's say if you're already in reserve fuel, you've already burned up most of your reserve fuel, that would be emergency fuel situation, right? Where you literally only have enough fuel or less to get to the airport and land. That's emergency fuel. I kind of misspoke. Reserve fuel is once you get start to burn into that, right? In the day, then that's 30 minutes. So if you have, if you're burning... 12 gallons per hour, that would be you have six gallons left, right? In the day, if you're once you're below six gallons on your gauges, you would say, Hey, reserve fuel that tells ATC that you have about 30 minutes left to flying at night. Obviously, that's 45 minutes, so that would be nine gallons if you're burning 12 gallons per hour. About okay, so that gives ATC a time frame that they can work with, and then so those are kind of the three. The one we've heard on the FA written exam is the minimum fuel one, so just to repeat. Minimum fuel indicates the aircraft's fuel supply has reached a state where, upon reaching the destination, it can accept little or no delay. It's not an emergency, but if a delay occurs, it could become an emergency. So saying minimum fuel to ATC is advisory to ATC, telling them, hey, I'm close to an emergency if I don't get kind of priority here to land. The last thing I want to talk to is emergency contact procedures. Aviate, navigate, and communicate. This is the desired order of priority during an emergency. So communicate is number three. That doesn't mean it's not important, but we want to do, we want to aviate first. We want to fly the aircraft first. Then we want to figure out where we're going because that is very important too, especially like if you have no fuel, you don't want to be just flying around in circles. And then you want to communicate. So first priority is to fly the airplane. Second priority is to navigate. Third priority is to communicate with ATC, nearby stations or anyone you can get a hold of. Your first priority should be to fly the aircraft and do what needs to be done for the safety of yourself, the aircraft, and others. But as soon as able, you should notify ATC of the emergency. ATC can clear runways, move traffic, call out traffic, call an emergency crews and fire trucks, etc. They can do a lot to help you out. That's why it's so important to let them know. Mayday, mayday, mayday should be used when you are in a life-threatening situation such as loss of control, loss of engine, or aircraft fire. So that's mayday. You know, you've seen that heard that in movies mayday 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 you want to say it three times loud and clear loss of control loss of engine or aircraft fire you're in a dire situation pan 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 p-a-n should be used when you're in an emergency situation that is not immediately life-threatening 
such as you are lost, you have equipment failures, or other emergencies that will cause you to deviate from your planned flight and altitude. So let's say you're lost, let's say fuel's getting low and you're just having all sorts of problems. You need some help. You know, you're not tumbling down, you're not, you still have power, there's no fire, you still have control of the aircraft. So it's not a mayday, mayday situation, but pan, pan, pan is what you would call for that. If you are able to state more, such as the runway you want to try to land, then do so. But the first priority is to fly the aircraft. So they came up with mayday, 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 pan, pan, pan. Without thinking, you can still fly the aircraft and do all that safely. But you can also communicate what type of situation you're experiencing to ATC. If you're on a VFR cross country and not in contact with ATC, you should transmit on the 121.5 megahertz frequency in the event of an emergency. That's kind of the, the emergency default frequency around the country. In addition, there are specific transponder codes to be used for emergency situations. These are 7500 for hijacking, 7600 for communications failure, and 7700 for all other emergencies. So if you have comms failure, you want to put 7600 in your transponder. This tells ATC if they're watching you radar that you've lost comms. If 7500 God forbid someone hijacks your small trainer aircraft or whatever it is you're flying, but that would be 7500. And then 7700 uh, for all other emergencies. That just tells ATC another way to communicate to ATC that, that you need some help. Okay, so that is the lesson on communications. I know it's a lot kind of hard to structure a lesson like this. It's just sort of repetition. And this is why I'm going to do a bonus episode for those in the online ground school, we'll actually listen to ATC and then we'll break it down and talk about it and everyone can practice that. Thank you everybody for listening. And remember the scholarship application is due on Wednesday, the 15th at midnight. So get those applications in, gotta be a member of the online ground school. But yeah, thousand dollar scholarship coming up and I will talk to you guys next week. Hey, what's up pilots? This is Nick. I wanted to take a second and talk about the ultimate private pilot test prep book. Now we don't have a ton of reviews yet on Amazon, but a lot of people have gotten it and we have a lot of good feedback from it. And the reason why is because it blows out all those other test prep books out of the water, right? If you've gotten a test prep book before, it's got a bunch of FA written test questions. It's good for that. It's good for that rote memorization, practicing those test problems and stuff. But if you want to learn beyond that, it might have some bullet point summaries of some of the subjects. It might tell you some tips on multiple choice test strategies, but that's about it, right? So what if you want to learn this stuff at a fundamental level? What if you want to go deeper on any of these topics because you're just not getting these topics? And the reason I made this is because we don't have anything physical. And I myself am someone who really likes to study with something physical in my hands. I like to take it with me to the beach, to the park, when I'm traveling, whatever. So I wanted to make a book unlike any of the other books. So that's what I did with the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep. So how is it different? Well, it's got all those test questions just like the other books. It covers every single subject just like the other books, but it breaks things down and 
explains all the concepts in simple English, and then you add in diagrams and visual aids that those books do not have, and then you also add in QR codes. You know those little QR codes that you scan to bring up a menu that came around during COVID? So yeah, you can do that with your mobile device, your iPad, whatever, and it'll bring up a video lesson on what you're watching. We also have a bunch of QR codes in there for free downloads, as well as free practice tests that come with the book. So it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's only $37 and it's got literally everything, you guys. That's why it's the ultimate test prep book. It's the best bet you can get for one single book when you're studying for your private pilot test. So check it out. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings 
until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job we have kids, we have family, we have school, we have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts The way we explain things in plain written English and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.